Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dropping In Surf Show. My name is Rob Case, paddling technique coach located in Northern California. Today on the show, I sit down with Jay Haldeman, creator of the Surf and Shape Board, which is a paddling training tool. Jay has a really unique story. I think it's a story that many people can relate to, where he found surfing at an early age, left it through certain circumstances, and then found it again later on. His passion for surfing is very evident, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jay. Well, it looked like you were drinking something much more fun than I was. Yeah, um, I was going to drink wine, uh, given where you are and where we, where we were recently, but I but I had a I've got a beer open, so okay, that works. It's better than my tea. <laughs> um, so super casual conversation. I I kind of thought we could start with the first time we spoke on the phone. I'm thinking it was like yeah. ten years ago, right? It it was it was close to that. In fact, I, I was I was looking. I don't. Um, I was looking here at voicemails. It, it was close to that. It was probably 2013, 2014. I've got a voicemail okay. back from you in 2014, and I think when I came across you and saw what you were doing, um, I was like, "This is this is amazing on so many levels," and what I felt like at the time, and I still think it's true today, Rob, is anybody that would be interested in surf and shape would be interested in what you're doing. I'm not sure everybody that you work with because of their proximity to the beach and the ocean and surfing, you know, necessarily has the need for a surf and shape board per se. Um, and, and I talked to you early enough in the process that we were still developing the product. And it's kind of like saying, hey, dealing with you is going in front of Simon Cal. I need to practice and make sure everything's ready and I'm ready to perform. Um, to borrow an, an old analogy, you know, with American Idol, I wasn't quite re- ready for prime time, even back there in 2014. I mean, we didn't launch until, until 2017. Yeah. Um, but it, sooner or later, um, I felt like, you know, our paths would intersect um, at some point, just, just because of, of what you're doing and the value. Um, and, and again, for anyone that might be interested in a surf and shape board, it, it, it's a, it's a natural fit. I mean, the business fit. And then honestly, as I've gotten to know you a little bit too, just even the cultural fit probably couldn't be stronger. So. Yeah, absolutely. I remember from that call, just how excited and passionate you were about this board that you put a bucket on. I mean, you were asking questions like, like you're asking like what angle the bucket should be at or how far up (laughs) and back it should be. And in all these little details that it just, it got me so excited to talk to you every time I got to talk to you and kind of see what the progress was. But I was always curious, like what fueled that excitement for surfing and excitement for all the details so I was kind of hoping maybe because I haven't heard I haven't really we haven't really spoken about when you started surfing and kind of up into that point of that call. I don't know anything about your your journey to that point. So maybe maybe start there. Like when when did you start surfing and 
maybe take us through to that point where you called me. Yeah. So I don't mean to be too long winded. I can definitely talk, but I'm a native Texan. My parents are from East Texas. Up until the sixth grade, we lived in kind of the greater Houston area. And, um, and so I'm 50 today. I'll be 51 in February. And so in um, 1983, the summer of 83, my dad came home for work. He worked for an oil services company. He said, what would you all think about? Uh, I've got an opportunity to take an uh, international position um, in Rio de Janeiro. We'll keep our house here in Humble, Texas. And uh, let me pause right there and say, um, I was playing baseball, basketball, football. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I, you know, when I look up sports figures, um, I wanted to be Larry Bird or Roger Staubach or Earl Campbell or Nolan Ryan, um, didn't know anything about surfing. Um, but it sounded like a really fun opportunity for our family and the way it was positioned. I don't want to say sold, but to us, cause I think it was sincere at the time was, Hey, this will be a two year set. We'll actually keep our house in humble. Um, we'll move down there for a couple of years. And, um, when we moved to Rio de Janeiro back then, I mean, we didn't have the internet. I mean, I think I may have gone to the encyclopedia. We did have a, a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> um, and, um, uh, we, we were in, ha- we were in a hotel on the corner of Copacabana beach and Copacabana is really not known for surfing, but there was a really big swell on, on the backside of that beach is Operador, which is probably one of the more famous surf spots in Rio proper. Um, but in the hotel that we were in on Copacabana, there was a really big swell. I didn't, I didn't know it was a big swell and it was a point break and there were all these kids surfing. And this is, this is why we were, um, looking for permanent housing. I think we were there probably six to eight weeks. How old were you? And I saw these kids, I was 12. Okay. Um, and so I saw these kids surfing this point break that was a right. And I was like, I have to do that. Um, and, and, you know, in Rio, you can live up in the mountains or you can live on the beach or somewhere in between. And, uh, so, so a couple of things happened. I was like, I have to do that. And to my, to my parents' credit, before we were out of the hotel, um, they purchased my first surfboard. Um, I will also say I'm, I'm not a surfing historian per se. I didn't appreciate the fact that in 1983, it was in the midst of kind of the shortboard revolution. And that's kind of a key point too. Um, and I'll probably come back to that. Um, so my parents bought a surfboard. I influenced them say, we've got to live on the beach. So around the corner, um, it's Operador, which is part of Ipanema and connected on that same beach, kind of like Manhattan beach and Hermosa beach in California, just as a point of reference is LeBlanc. And we ended up living on a high rise on LeBlanc, where if you were standing, we're on the 12th floor, you know, if you were standing on the beach, I could throw a Nerf ball down. I mean, there was a, a road down there, but I mean, literally it was that close to the beach. And um, so I was introduced to surfing by what I saw. I went to the American school or international school, um, but really for two years, um, ate, drank, slept surfing. Um, you know, even in the mornings would wake up, sometimes surf before school. 
um, you know, I mean, even just eating breakfast, watching the waves and, you know, mind surfing. Um, but I would also say, you know, it was a time and era where you didn't start out on an eight foot foam board or a seven foot foam board. I mean, I had a, a, a legitimate short board. And so, you know, learning in the white water. Um, Did you have friends that you went with? Did you have schoolmates? Yeah, yeah. So I would say rather than schoolmates, because in that community at the American school, which w- was up in, in the hills, per se, in Rio, it was more um, local friends um, that lived on or around that area on the lawn. And what I, I, I give again, give my parents a lot of credit, give my dad a lot of credit. Um, so you can imagine he was probably I went back and did the math a little bit younger than me in his early 40s. Um, he's like, I think I want to learn how to do this too. The two years we lived in Rio, not only, certainly we didn't see foam boards, but I never once saw a mid-length board or a long board ever. Mm-hmm. They just didn't exist in Brazil back then. And so for my dad to try to learn to surf as well, looking back on it, it's pretty inspiring and very cool. And so we surfed LeBlanc. And if you know anything about surfing in Rio, South of there, there's a there's a break called Baja de Tijuca, mm-hmm. which is again a really long beach break. I think they have some of the WSL events there uh, from time, and then a little bit south of that is a spot that was just unbelievable called Prainha. And culturally, my dad's job was such that work wise, I mean, if he showed up at nine or nine thirty, I think he was on time or early. And so um, we we could literally go surf. You know, if the waves were decent in front. We would still round up a group of kids locally, um, throw boards on top of the car with bungee cords, head down to Prainha, which is about 25 or 30 minutes back then, go through a couple of tunnels, um, surf for two hours, three hours, come back. He'd go to work. And sometimes we'd go back in the evening as well if it was really good. So, you know, looking back on it, it was... um, uh, it, and, and part of the rest of the story is you kind of hear my journey. It was just such a unique time um, and era to be introduced to surfing and certainly not growing up in a family, you know, whereas today, you know, to have the DNA where your last name's Tudor or Curran or, mm-hmm. you know, Dorian, where you've got kids that are growing up in the sport. You know, my parents couldn't have been any you know, further from that. Um, but it was uh, it, it was. I was hooked immediately, loved it. You know, my first board was a crystal graffiti thruster. It was kind of, kind of next board Christmas, you know, Christmas was special. I got baptized and I got a quad uh, board actually by a guy who's still shaping today. Um, and so it was, it was, it was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Well, so you say your, your parents were, weren't, of the legendary status, but they really embodied the surf culture of helping other kids get to the beach and just that whole yeah. vibe of community. I think that's, that's awesome. That's, that's what really drew you in. No question. Um, and, and it's not that there still weren't those same sports at the American school, but, um, um, but you know, there were two baseball teams. So baseball wasn't that serious. Um, um, we did play a little bit of basketball and so forth, but my, my love during those two years was surfing. Yeah. Um, just absolutely loved it. You know, and you know, when you look back on it, I don't, I don't know that there were any Brazilians that had broken through 
on the world circuit level or whatever existed at that time. Um, I can only imagine today when Medina, you know, wins a world title, how crazy the country goes because they're a passionate people, just an amazing culture, um, very proud um, when their country's represented well. But it was it was um, it was a special time for sure. I got to ask, have you been back since I haven't I haven't been back, you know, so so Jen and I have been married 27 years. We have four daughters that are 22, 20, 18, and 16. And um, for a variety of reasons, we haven't, but, uh, but we need to, um, for sure. Yeah. Um, so what happened after Brazil? So you go back to Texas? So, so that was the plan all along. That was, hey, we're keeping our house. And uh, uh, dad came home after meeting with his boss and said, uh, what would you think about moving to Stavanger, Norway? Um, <laughs> That's a little different. <laughs> different on so many levels. True story. Uh, I, I know I, I'm pretty emotional in, in, in I mean, anyway, but I, I know I cried, went to school, kind of puppy eyed. Um, I haven't seen the Burton um, special, but I knew that there was um, snowboarding that was out um, because of, maybe surfing or surfer magazine, even back then. Uh Um, So we literally moved rather than moving back to Humble, Texas, we moved from Stavanger or excuse me, we moved from Rio to Stavanger, Norway and (laughs) climate, culture, uh, economy. It couldn't have been more different on, on all levels. And actually looking back on it, there was a time where I think we thought about going to surf and that would have been 85, uh, but wetsuit technology hadn't evolved to where it is today. I mean, I know they surf in Norway now. I mean, I've seen some of the features, um, but surfing, you know, I still have probably had some posters that I carried with me, but, you know, for those two years um, in Norway, I mean, surfing was in the rear view mirror um, and the idea and concept of traveling to surf certainly wasn't something that we knew about, even if, even if it existed. Yeah. kind of back then so so it was back to honestly traditional sports education a little bit of skiing i didn't really snowboard then i'm not even sure how, how much snowboarding had evolved certainly in europe at the time yeah and uh i told my parents i was like okay if we're moving to norway i just have one thing to ask you i, I want to graduate from my high school back in texas um not that i really had that much bargaining power with them <laughs> um, but after but after two years, and it's, it's, it's ironic because, you know, a, as you begin a life as an expat kid, and certainly, you know, what, what drove that was, um, you know, in, in both places, especially in Norway, was at the time petroleum production in the North Sea. So there were a ton of kids from Texas and Oklahoma um, that lived in Norway um, with what was going on there. But there were kids who had been in Jakarta or been in Cairo or been in Athens and and honestly, even though I had said that when we moved there, uh, we could have easily been transferred like to The Hague or, or some other place. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, uh, my dad's opportunity um, back domestically was just outside of Dallas. So when I was a junior in high school, or, yeah, 80, 19, probably 87, we moved to Rockwall, Texas, just east of Dallas. And it was, you know, it was kind of what you think of if you're familiar with Friday Night Lights. I mean, football. You know, it, you know, it was 
It was great. Um, a little bit interesting transitioning. Um, but as someone who played sports, it was easily to kind of integrate, especially into a community where a lot of the kids that I ended up graduate, graduating with had started school together back in kindergarten. But back to the surfing aspect, you know, that's now four years right. of, you know, zero surfing, not mm-hmm. even, you know, even thinking about it. Um, yeah. So, and then, and then at that point, honestly, I mean, it's, it's ironic today to say there, there were only a couple of schools that I applied to college wise, university of Texas and Baylor was accepted to both. Um, and, and actually looking back on it as a kid who played baseball, basketball, and football in today's youth sports, you know, if you're not playing something year around, it's really difficult to play at the next level unless you're just, you know, freakish on, you know, in certain levels. And uh, so I hadn't lifted weights, you know, really at all. Um, so when we moved back to Rockwell, I played basketball, baseball, ironically, um, we played in the state championship in football and everybody that I played um, baseball with my junior year, when we, when we were in the state championships, like you got to play football. So I ended up playing football my senior year. Um, and then back to, you know, college, uh, I ended up choosing to go to Baylor for those that aren't familiar, Baylor universities in Waco, Texas. And who would have thought that in the <laughs> last couple of years, Waco would be a place that surfers, at all levels, not only domestically and internationally, would be traveling to. Yeah, you were just three um, decades too early. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny. I mean, I certainly didn't choose college based on proximity to the coast. Um, didn't choose a career as we continue to kind of tell my story about proximity, to, you know, to the coast to make surfing a part of my life. You know, I watched a um, a story about Mark Price the other day, and he was like, you know, hey when I discovered surfing, everything about it, you know, my life has been dictated and where I've lived, even if it hasn't been working in the surf has been around being able to surf. And that couldn't be further from my story. Mm -hmm. So graduated from Baylor, met my wife there. We've been married 27 years, um, lived in Dallas for a little bit. And then, um, early in our marriage, took a job in Denver, Colorado. (laughs) Um, so again, I mean, you know, um, could, couldn't have been further. And, uh, was working in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and, uh, back then in 96, 97, it sounds weird to say it now, but you started to see com. you know, it was the evolution truly of kind of technology and the internet. Mm-hmm. And, um, I took a job with IBM that moved us to North Carolina. IBM's got a, has historically had a really strong presence here and my in-laws had retired on the coast here in North Carolina, just south of Wilmington, to a place called Baldhead Island. And um, so that was that was '99. And um, so I didn't grow up with an appreciation of East Coast surfing. You know, as a as a kid in North Carolina today, you might look at Brett Barley and say, "Gosh, I want to, I want to, I want to do that, or be like him, or even you know, even more recently, you know, someone like Mason Barnes." Um, I'm not sure people know that he's, you know, he's really from Wrightsville beach, but again, didn't, didn't know that didn't have an appreciation for East coast surfing. But as we began to spend time with my in-laws at Baldhead, uh, which is at Cape fear, which is the point that kind of juts out, mm-hmm. um, here in North Carolina, it's like, and there's, there's waves 
here. Yeah, it's and one of the most actually, consistent like, areas, right, of the East Coast. Yeah, well, the, the oh. Outer Banks is definitely the most consistent. Yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, when, when, I, when I first started going there, you know, 20, almost 25 years ago, it was like, you know, there's, and looking around, nobody, nobody surfed other than the people that developed it. And, you know, fast forward today, if there's decent waves, um, there's tons of people out surfing, uh -huh. which I think, you know, speaks volumes to the evolution of the sport as well. Um, but, but for me, Rob, what, a couple of things happened um, probably in 2004, 2005, after we started to spend more time on the coast here. It's like, man, there's, there's waves. Again, I hadn't surfed really at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, I sold books to pay for school door to door when I was in college. That's a, that's a long story. Um, and, and it was long before the internet objection, they were educational, uh, related books. And so I think, uh, one of the summers when I, when I was in North Carolina, I, I rented a board and surfed in South Carolina, you know, on a weekend kind of beach trip, but there were really no waves. Mm -hmm. Um, but a couple, couple of things happened when we were living, I'll back up to you, when we were living in Rio, there were two surf movies I saw, and this was back in Betamax days. Um, uh, I saw the endless summer and I saw big Wednesday, um, two, two classic movies. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I went to a surf shop in Wrightsville beach in 2004 and saw the endless summer too, bought it immediately, um, watched it. Uh, that was probably in December and was like, Oh my gosh. Um, and, you know, and the first place they go in the endless summer too is, is to Tamarindo. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll come, I'll come back to that. Um, and it sounds weird to say this today, but I think with our credit card, we had points that were kind of use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had a, we had a bunch of points accumulated, not, not because we spent a lot, maybe year over year, but cumulatively at that point, years and years. And, um, uh, uh, I, I'd seen the summer got inspired. I may have also saw step into liquid. I think about both of those movies. And so I was like, Jen, you know, when, when I lived in Brazil, I always wanted to surf Hawaii based on the po posters that I saw about rock piles and backdoor. Not that I could probably at, certainly at the time paddle into those waves. And so, um, we made the decision to travel to Maui in Jan late January, early February of 2005. And, and, mm -hmm. and that's really where the surf and shape story kind of picks up momentum. At that time, we probably had a five-year-old, three-year-old, one-year-old. Jen was pregnant with our, with our fourth daughter. Her parents came and stayed. And I was like, look, we're going to Hawaii for 10 days. I had just seen the endless summer, step in the liquid. I want to get back into surfing. And, um, I don't even know that I appreci appreciate the idea of winners, you know, on the North shore and <laughs> yeah. Hawaii. And so, um, we land in Maui. I rent a board. I, 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 in fact, I, I, you know, this was probably before Surfline. I, I had bought a board. I can't remember if this was on Amazon or how, no, or how I got this, you know, called wave finders. You probably can't <laughs> see it. Um, a, t a tiny little pocket book. And I had, you know, read anything and everything about the breaks in Maui. Yeah. And so when we landed, um, uh, in January, it was, the weather was perfect. Uh, 
we rented a uh, had a rental car, went to a surf shop, rented a board. Said, "Hey, I told them my story," and, and they said, uh, you, "You need you need a six seven board at least if you're a short boarder." I was like, six seven. So they they set me up with a six seven JC board, um, and the and and I didn't probably have an appreciation for how big the waves were. It was not Paia big, but it was big, and so. If you're familiar with Maui, I went and checked out the waves at Hukipa and then went over to Honolulu Bay. And when we went to Honolulu Bay, it was on the weekend. There were cars all up and down the cliffside. Mm-hmm. There were people lined up everywhere. There were photographers lined up everywhere. And my wife looks at me and is like, well, okay, we're here now. What are you waiting on? Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, first of all, I don't think I've ever seen waves that big. Um, secondly, I don't even know how to get down yeah. uh, and, and, and enter. And, you know, and she was, she was, she was pregnant at the time. And so it's not like I was there with, with a, a buddy or friends. And I was like, let me just, let me just watch. Let me kind of survey and see what's going on. And as the week went on, you know, the swell dropped a little bit. Um, and uh, we stayed in uh, the kind of the Lahaina area. And kind of went back and forth between Hukipa and Honolulu Bay. But both spots were firing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, true story. Um, at Hukipa, I don't know if you've if you've been to Maori, if you've surfed there. I, you know, it, it's a it's an unusual, you know, not super long beach. I knew the right side as you're looking out to the water was really you know heavy local. The left side, but again, I'm there by myself. The waves are breaking way out past the reef and I paddle out. And when I get out, she's like, I couldn't even see you. Yeah. Um, Not that it was about her watching me necessarily or certainly, you know, photographing me. But, but, but she's like, when I did figure out it was you, she's like, what, what, why aren't you catching any waves? And I was like, (laughs) I'm, I, I I was physically exhausted. I thought I was in pretty good shape when we went there. Mm -hmm. I was not in surfing shape at all. Um, and uh, I was frustrated. I was frustrated, but at the same time, I was like, "Is this real? Is this is this heaven?" And, and true story. I mean, you're going to hear me probably mention a couple of names, and it's going to seem like I'm I'm name dropping. But if you back up to 2005, there were there were no commercial stand up paddle boards right. at that time. I mean, as as fast and rapidly as that space has grown, and in the lineup in the water was Laird Hamilton and Dave Kalama. And Jen knew who they were and was like, did you see that? And even in the lineup. Yeah. And um, I mean, those guys were stand up paddling out there. Um, and it was it was uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I can remember um, it, the waves were bigger. It, you know, it, it's always bigger when you're in the water than it looks from there. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I kind of had the futile prayers of Lord, help me, help me make it out. Lord, help me make it in type type deal um but i mean my wave count was super low mm-hmm. but i was blown away with the speed and how fast and it was kind of like oh my gosh I, I cannot believe how amazing this is mm-hmm. and then and then to go surf honolulu bay i was kind of doing back and forth um and the swell had dropped considerably i mean when, when we were there looking back on it it was probably not only overhead but closer to double overhead so it was wise and smart that I didn't go in the water at the time. Yeah. Um, but the, but the entire time, what I would say is for surfing, 
Um, it, I, I've probably written about this in the past too. It's kind of like the pilot that I didn't know stay, that stayed lit kind of in your fireplace. If you ever got gas fireplace mm -hmm. was completely reignited. And, um, you know, it was, it was amazing. And at the same time, it was incredibly humbling and frustrating because I was <laughs> not, surfing. I was not in the proper, I wasn't in the proper position. Yeah. Um, you know, and there were times where I was caught on the inside. It was like, you know, I, I should be able to make it out easier than this. So it was, it was that, and, and I'll go back to the combination of seeing the endless summer too, um, and seeing the, this whole seed was planted about travel surfing. Um, you know, the whole premise of the endless summer is, you know, is traveling, but it just didn't seem like reality at the time. I was like, well, you know, people travel all the time to snow ski or whatever else, you know, we should, we should probably consider doing that for surfing. So I came back from Hawaii with three guys that I work with. Um, we booked a trip to Tamarindo. So the, the financial and eco economic impact the endless summer two has probably had on Costa Rica. I can't even imagine what that's been, <laughs> yeah. honestly. Well, I mean, if you really kind of quantify it and, um, and so for me, having been completely humbled in the lineup in Maui, um, it, it, it made me think, Hey, I've got to do something differently to prepare for this trip. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't, I hadn't prepared at all for white, never even crossed my mind because as, yeah. as a 12, 13, 14 year old, you know, I really didn't need that in Brazil. Right. Did it feel like you that re reignition in, in your surfing, did it feel like you were 14 again when you started uh, up again? Or did you, did you kind of have those reflections and, and, and echoes of, of that happiness and joy that you felt? Is that uh, kind of what drew you into I, it? I, yeah. I mean, I, I can remember, I don't ever remember going that fast on a wave. <laughs> no, as I did. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you keep on, on a six, seven board. And I mean, it, and it, it, it was, again, it was not Jaws big, but it was big enough looking back on it. It's like, I, I, I mean, it would intimidate me today, uh, even, even look at, looking out at it. Um, and so, you know, um, it totally did. It brought back all those memories. Um, you know, and again, looking back was, hey, was Rio real? Or did I imagine that? And, th and then the setting of being in Hawaii too. Yeah. When you look around, it's like just to be, it's, it's, it's a I imagine the rest of the islands are that way as well, but it's just, a, it's a special place. Um, but yes, I mean, I, I, I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely loved it. And at the same time was incredibly frustrated. Yeah. Um, it's not that I was performing at a competitive level, you know, as a 14 year old by the time that we moved away, but I, I had gone from a beginner to being intermediate to high intermediate because uh, I surfed every day. Yeah. You know, every day that there were waves or every day that I could, I mean, that was a priority. Um, and so, you know, you fast forward 2005 versus 1985, and that's 20 years, not only, I mean, not only an occasional trip, but not being on a board for all intents and purposes ever. So, yeah. So then uh, you booked this trip to Costa Rica. Is, is that, and you decided yeah, to prepare yeah, for it, right? Yeah, I decided to prepare for it. And I, and I would say, you know, I didn't grow up as a competitive swimmer. I, mean, I'll go, I go back to um, baseball, basketball, football. I can remember um, trying out for swim team. It was early in the morning, hopping the pool, swimming the length of the pool, hopping on my, my bike, going back to the house saying it was cold. Um, 
<laughs> so I, I would I would describe my ability to swim over the years and appreciation for swimming and, and competent. But, you know, really like my, you know, my kids all swam swim team early on. And it wasn't so much for them to compete, but to be highly competent swimmers and certainly having a greater appreciation because because really, I mean, all that started probably after the whole concept of surf and shake. So, um, yeah, so I had the idea. Um, I, I, I would say, I think I, I think I did start swimming and just realized, you know, swimming is a humbling sport if, if you're not competent at it on mm-hmm. so many levels without even getting into the differences between the, the strokes. And we can probably talk about that. So I had the idea um, to um, paddle on a boogie board. And, and honestly, when people see surf and shape or see ads for safe surf and shape on social media, they're like, you know, why don't you just buy a boogie board? I'm like, well, you can do that. I mean, I did it. But if you're my size, 6'1", 195 pounds, you know, most boogie boards really aren't designed to float you properly. I mean, in fact, with a bodyboard or boogie board, especially a one that's designed even for high performance, your propulsion's not really with your arms, it's with your feet. Mm-hmm. And if, with, if it's with your arms, it's with one arm. You know, yeah. I mean, when you think about even the best of the best doing that. So I, I did that, started with one board, um, then ended up duct taping two boards together. Um, <laughs> And I think probably for the first trip to Costa Rica, I, I mean, I trained on two boards and uh, the three guys that I went with, um, one had a surfing experience really similar to me in Carpinteria for a couple of years. And then he was back here. Um, the other two hadn't surfed at all, but, you know, they were they were physically fit guys. You know, one competed in triathlons, the other one in marathons. Um, and, and, the, and the other one who... Um, who had surfing experience similar to mine, you know, even still today competes in CrossFit. And so I would say those three guys were probably even more committed day in and day out to, to just typical physical fitness. But when we got to Tamarindo um, and, the, and the waves were decent the entire time we were there, um, I was in so much better paddle shape than those guys. Mm-hmm. Just you could even compare. Yeah. And so the light went off of, you know what, th- this, this really works. And then the, the thing that happened after that, well, what I didn't say is after Mao, when we booked that trip, um, uh, John, who, who had spent time in Carpinteria and we were similar in age, we ordered boards from Channel Islands, short boards, um, uh, also ordered a longer board, t- took the shorter boards with us down there, you know, so my quiver started to build, you know, with a, with probably a six, four flyer. Looking at it today, it's so thin. <laughs> um, um, but um, but 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 the other the other thing that happened was, you know, the whole concept of traveling as a family um, to, you know, on vacations to surf. That seed was planted significantly, and so I came back from that that trip down in, in um, Tamarindo, and we surfed. We did surf witches and we surfed Playa Grande and Avellanas, you know, in the river mouth. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the pilot being relit again, I mean, we're talking about a full fledged fire burning mm-hmm. just in terms of my excitement and enthusiasm. You fast forward today, we leave Friday to head back down to Costa Rica. And I want to, and I don't, I don't, we've probably taken 18 to 20 trips now as a family um, down to Central America. And, um, and so if we back up to that first trip 
I continued to train. I had seen the benefits because it's like, hey, if, if you're going for a week and the waves are going to be decent, yeah, um, you know, being in good paddle shape makes the difference between not only just making it out into the lineup, but your wave count, your quality of waves, um, protecting you from maybe getting caught in the inside per se. Um, and it it worked. Um, even this system of cut up boogie boards. And so I was like, you know what, how can I, how can I, how can I make it to a, a more well-rounded workout? And, uh, a, a guy that I work with today who lives down at Wrightsville beach, we've got offices for what I do in my day job and career, which, which I'll mention to you is in, in the world of insurance and risk management. And that factors into part of the surf and shape story. And I, I love what I do. I've been really blessed and fortunate. I mean, by law, by customer requirement, you have to buy insurance, whether it's workers' compensation or general liability. Um, and, and I am not an engineer. My, my brain's not wired that way to make things, design things. So I, I'd love to tell you a little bit more about that. But as I you know, had these boogie boards and was talking to Brad about, hey, I've got this idea. And Brad grew up surfing kind of down at Wrightsville Beach. Um, and he traveled uh, a lot to Central America as well. And as we're aging, you know, with growing families and other interests and things occupying our time, he, you know, he said, you know, it, it'd be pretty cool. I mean, I like what you're doing, but if you could figure out a way to kind of create resistance with that as well. Yeah. And so, you know, the first model with the resistance board was a standard kickboard that was drilled through two boogie boards kind of attached to it. Uh -huh. And the reality is if you did that today and tried paddling with it, you don't move very fast, very far at all. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy how much resistance was created with that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, was the kickboard, was the kickboard perpendicular to the board? Uh -huh. Yeah, completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our coaches would make us do that all the time and we wouldn't go anywhere. Would yeah. No, you don't go anywhere at all. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I would go to Ace Hardware or Lowe's and look at for different things to figure out what to use as a resistance device. And I, I should have, I should have bought one and brought it in, but for cleaning purposes, you know, in your house, those little hand, I'm gonna, not really dollies, but plastic hand um, things where if you've got cleaning stuff on two sides of it, yeah, you know, yeah. it's a, so, it's like a carrier. So, yeah. Like a, a carrier. Um, I, I mean, I didn't own, uh, saws, um, drills, um, but my next door neighbor, you know, had a table saw. So I, I bought a bunch of those and, um, we chopped the top off, cut those down and I would screw those into the bottom, uh, of a board. And it's like, Hey, you got two different levels of resistance here. I mean, if you turn it one way, it creates kind of medium drag, turn it the other way, it's full drag. And if you actually saw the evolution of kind of the product development, the original bucket, when we were looking at prototypes, the bucket actually fit on the bottom of the board perfectly yeah. um, for, sh for shipping purposes, which is a whole nother story. But as, as, as I continue to kind of mess around with it, you know, like Lori, Jen's not a surfer. My, my four girls all can surf, will surf. Um, we're definitely a beach family. Uh, one of the girls, you know, has a passion for surfing, but she's the one at some point as we started traveling, who's like, I've seen how much joy this brings you, how much it really works. You, you ought to do something with this. 
Yeah. I mean, you ought to, I'm sure there's others um, that could benefit from it. Yeah. So. That's wild, man. And the, I know you said you're not an engineer by, by trade and you don't think that way, but the way that you developed your final product, it was very scientific in nature, I would say, like in terms of <laughs> maybe it was a little uh, detail and perfectionist oriented, but I mean, you were asking questions about angles and you were hung up on the, the type of foam being used and making sure yeah. that it was not just going to float people, but also last in a pool, like, because that's where you, you foresaw it being used the most. And you had all these little details that I was so intrigued with that. And I thought that you were a scientist, like you completely. No, fooled I me, couldn't be, I couldn't, I couldn't, be, I couldn't be further from it. I can't believe you remember those details because, um, you know, at some point it's like, okay, if you're going to pursue this and try to make a product and take it to market, is it, I don't even, know if, I don't know if patentable is a word, but let's just say, you know, is it patentable? I mean, is it worth trying to seek IP protection or whatever? So I started to go down that road, did some research. There's nothing out there kind of like it. There's a lot of crazy fun things that have been invented surfing wise. Actually, there's something similar, but not for this purpose. It was more thin related on a surfboard. And uh, do you have any experience with patents or IP? I have quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, you know, it's highly, highly technical mm -hmm. and who I was working with going back to in Greensboro, you know, um, you know, two and a half hours from the coast, three hours from the coast here in North Carolina. I'm not sure if the guy, I know he hadn't surfed, not even sure if he's, you know, could swim. Mm -hmm. And at that point, and this isn't anything negative about him because he could have been, he could have been, he could have been a great fit to secure patents on this, but I started doing some research and, um, did a bunch of research on who I, who I probably should be working with. So I called a guy named Jim Cleary, James Cleary, Jim Cleary, and told him about the idea that I had. And he said, um, Hey, um, thanks for reaching out. I love the idea. Um, on so many levels, love the idea. And he's like, I'm not sure if you know, but I've done some work in this area. I've done some work on Kelly Slater's waypoint. I'm like, that's why I called you. Um, done some work with Firewire, Sector 9 skateboards. And he said, but let me tell you, um, he said, um, I grew up as a competitive swimmer, um, live in Southern California, didn't grow up surfing, surf now. Um, I, in fact, I went to college swimming for the U.S. Air Force Academy. And everything that you're describing and why, um, the swim stroke's really different than the paddle stroke. And um, so, so Jim ended up being really helpful with that process. But in addition to that process of securing patents, it's like, Jim, back to, Hey, I'm, I need to, you know, I need further prototypes. And so he had contacts that he connected me with kind of early on. Um, and in addition to that, you know, after we kind of refined a couple of prototypes, it was like, okay, I need to get these sourced. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how to, how or where to make these. And I'll come back and say, you know, my day job and career fortunately has been really good. And with, you know, if we go back over the years with really active kids, it's like, I, I need help. I can't, I can't stop, drop and do this on my own. And so Jim connected me with a guy named Rob Falcon, who, um, who Rob, super interesting guy, one of the smartest people I've ever met, passionate about surfing, passionate about 
developing and inventing products that are environment, environmentally conscious. And when I called him, when Jim connected me with Rob, um, you know, Rob's quite a bit younger than I am. He's like, I live in San Diego where the weather's perfect and there's, you know, a fair amount of waves every day. You're trying to create what? You're trying to do what? Um, hmm. Okay. I, I, I guess I understand why. And, uh, but Rob, um, Rob Falcon, he was, he's been featured in surfing magazine as meat surfing's rad scientist from introducing, first of all, he created a wax company in his mom's kitchen, um, that he built up and sold. I, I didn't know that about him. Um, he created, um, all kinds of other products surfing related that are just super cool. And as we began working on this, um, back to what you said about just, I wanted to have a product, Rob, with, without appreciating how um, damaging chlorine could be or salt could be, where the materials used, um, obsolescence wouldn't drive demand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that could, could stand and, and would last. And so um, it took, you know, looking back on the years, a lot of time, a lot of money to kind of try to figure out sources. I mean, we were going down a path with a particular foam manufacturer based in the UK that makes the leanest, cleanest, greatest foam, but their manufacturing process at the end of the day just didn't, just wasn't the right fit for us. Mm-hmm. Ironically, that company, we use their foam for our deck pads. And as cool as it would be to use um, slaters or firewires, algae-based byproduct, which Rob Falcon designed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's kind of the architect behind that. He's like, you can't use that because chlorine will, eat it up. I mean, we didn't introduce this for chlorine. And that's also making the assumption that a lot of the pools where the boards would still be used would be chlorine. Um, we, uh, it just, it just took forever. Yeah. And, um, but he helped refine the concept, additional materials, like for the bucket, the bolts, which are titanium. Um, the buckets are really repurposed grain elevator buckets that are used completely separately, um, but they're perfect. They're a perfect application for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Zote foam we use as the deck pad. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, when we make these, these aren't being shaped by hand, they're being shaped in the mold. Yeah. But you know, if, if you've ever invested in, or, or, or know what the cost of a mold is, you don't want to get it wrong. Right. Um, I mean, you want to make sure shape wise, performance wise, you know, it's kind of like buying a, a small car and you, you, you just don't want to miss it. So there was a lot of thought that went into it. And back to your point about the bucket, I originally had the bucket up near the chest. Logically, it made sense that, hey, that's where we are. And that's without even worrying about S paddling. I think I probably talked to you about that. Um, but we ended up moving the bucket to the back of the board, which probably was the right place to begin with. It just never dawned on me. Yeah. Um, but Rob, Rob was super, super instrumental. And we ended up eventually connecting with a company called Marco Foam. And if you're a surfboard shaper, you're familiar with Marco. If you're not, um, they've been doing, making super cool BPS foam used by a host of well-known shapers um, like um, Pizel, Lost significantly, um, Channel Islands, some Firewire, when Firewire was doing some things domestically, Rusty, Stretch, a host of other shapers. But when I connected with Ty and Kobe Peterson, um, they were like, man, love the idea. 
and your timing's perfect because we're looking at introducing a soft board line. We're also looking at, we've been approached by a couple of other brands in the industry, um, like Almond, like Album, you know, that today have really very cool alternative soft board models mm-hmm. that are kind of high performance. Um, and so the fit, it just took the evolution of it, you know, took seven, eight, nine years. Yeah. I remember uh, that. It's crazy. Yeah. So how many prototypes until we got to the one that we see today? You know, I don't, I, I don't, you know, it's not like the I mean, iPhone we got the 13. double boogie board. We'll say that's one, <laughs> right? Yeah. We got the double boogie yeah. board with the kickboard. The, there's two. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, the, there's gotta the be like with 20 the, iterations of it. Yeah, the double boogie board, the kickboard uh, attached to it. Um, a key piece I'm living, leaving out is, you know, if you want to build prototypes, boogie boards aren't made in the U.S. with the exception of a guy in Oceanside, California, named Jimmy Linville. Um, and uh, if you're a bodyboarder, boogie boarder, he makes high performance boards. And somehow I got introduced to Jimmy and he had a boogie board that's the biggest boogie board i've ever seen called a porpoise board um <laughs> that's probably 50 something liters um and flies across and so I, I bought a couple of those boards from them paddled on them they didn't they worked but they didn't work per se but i said hey um can you can you literally and back then this wasn't that long ago jimmy's like yeah i don't i don't have email um so can you send me your ideas? And so I stood up on a 10 foot ladder using a porpoise board, drew the shape out with yeah. a Sharpie marker, um, faxed it to him yeah. and said, Hey, can you make me some boards this way? And he did and continued to make me boards that way. And so there were, I, yeah, I mean, I've actually got all kinds of relics in the garage and Jen's like, why do we have this? And I'm like someday, um, <laughs> Um, so it was, it was a lot, it it was a lot. Um, I probably joked with you before looking back on how much money has been invested, spent, invested, you know, if I had to do over again, would I do this or take that some money? And at the same time, know that today, you know, there's never been a better time ever to have a, whether you say niche or niche product, um, and introduce it, whether it's, you know, Hey, how am I going to have a, uh, a web page? Um, you know, with the, the beauty of Shopify, just being able to have a turnkey solution mm-hmm. or, you know, love or hate social media, the ability to say, hey, I want to, you know, target, this is my audience. And that's not for disintermediation to cut out retail um, at all. Um, but it's been, it's been a fascinating, interesting journey. Yeah. You know, to launching. I, I get... I, I get contacted every once in a while from people with ideas, uh, paddling specific product lines. And I think maybe 10% of them are still around five to 10 years later. And you're one of them, like one of the very few. <laughs> um, and I, I think I've told you this, I use your boards for my level two course. Um, not yeah. from a, for a Thank fitness you. thing, but for a, a technique thing. Cause uh, some studies that I read about, um, how do we improve and increase our motor learning? Um, it, one of the fastest ways to do it is to actually do the motion under load and then slowly remove the load. 
And so, you know, with your, and just in flat water, you have your full resistance, then you have your half, and then you can take the bucket off. But when I put it in my endless pool, I have like 50 settings because I can increase yeah. or decrease the speed with the bucket in any setting. So it's, it's been quite useful as a tool along with the parachute and along with the tether. And they all look, they, they all do different resistances. Um, and so I, I use it quite a bit with my clients. Um, it, it's a fantastic product. And um, what, what do you see as the future? What do you guys, do you have plans? What's going on? with because you got two models now you got the, the o which yeah we got the o. Is short board yeah. and the w is like yeah. the bigger thicker one right so yeah i love the simplicity yeah, and, of it i wouldn't want to add any complexity to it but do you have any plans so so we have the o the w and we actually have a bag and, and, and let me let me just say this as a timeout this isn't meant to be you know just a commercial for it because if if you can surf every day surf if you've got something else that you do that works do it but if you can identify with my story, you find yourself landlocked or in a stage of life where things are differently. Um, and I, and I can walk you through all of those, you know, life changes, whether it's being a caretaker, you know, experiencing an injury, um, or career change, uh, for that matter. But, but, um, now you ask a, a really interesting question and uh, let me back up and say the O and W is paying a little bit of homage. I may have told you this to the endless summer too. Um, you know, it's the original model in the W, which is wider and bigger, and the short boards Pat O'Connell and the wide boards wing nuts. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a true story. It's like not super creative with the name surf and shape, um, and the model O and the model <laughs> W. It's definitely a tip of the hat to those two. Um, you know, so it's been interesting. Um, this has been more of a passion project yeah. than a, hey, you know. So burn the boats. We're all all in. Um, um, it, it's going along fine. You know, I mean, COVID's been really interesting in that, you know, the board was designed initially back to safety and, in, and insurance and risk management. The code we were trying to cat, crack, Rob, was make a board long, large enough that would mimic paddling. Mm-hmm. Um, short enough that wouldn't freak people out if you showed up to a gym or pool. Yeah. And made out of materials safe enough that you could say, hey, it used properly, used as a design, not jumping on it um, or anything like that. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny, in the last couple of weeks, I've reached a point saying, I mean, we've probably sold 1,500 boards, you know, which, you know, some people look at and say is amazing. I wouldn't think you'd sell one. And others would look at and say, hey, but I mean, the only way we promote it's through right now through social media and we, and we don't do that well it's not because it helps me with it i just don't give them much material because i've been busy with other things but we've reached a point where as is the case with probably a lot of products that founders have um I, i've got to do something differently um not because it doesn't work but to, to share it with others and so i don't know um, if that's partnering with an athlete and then, you know, who's the right athlete or athletes, if it's partnering with a brand, um, i.e. I've always had the vision that, you know, when I'm paddling, I think about surfboards, I think about different models, I think about trips. And so if this were branded as Channel Islands or Firewire or whatever else, does it make sense to kind of go that route? Um, it, which which would give it a whole different kind of level of credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, and then uh, d- does it make sense with what's going on with Peloton and Peloton doing a bunch of other things to do something as crazy as it sounds, to have it more individual but group oriented? You know, I mean, I've got a vision one day that leading the surf and shape workouts, you know, it could be Dennis Morton, Matt Wilpers or Rob Case. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, literally. Well, I'm um, telling you, so, it's I think we've had this conversation that the, the surf industry is very small. Uh, the fitness yeah. industry is enormous and other sports yeah. industries are, are a lot larger. So from a from a business point of view, I don't think anybody was looking at what you were doing, thinking you're going to be. Be, be the next billionaire with this idea. Yeah. It was definitely a passion play. It's uh, benefited the surf industry greatly. I think a lot of surfers greatly. And that's, that's kind of the funny thing about the surf industry that I've found is that a lot of the brands that spend money on advertising and stuff, they don't really get much from us surfers. You know, they, we thank yeah, yeah. them so much for pouring their their poor money, advertising money into our industry, and and other than clothing back in the nineties, it you know lately hasn't really turned much. Um, but um, you know, if from a business point of view, we can get you guys into like a larger market or or co brand it, that'd be amazing just to keep it going because I don't I don't think that this should fall by the wayside. There's been too much put into it for one. Um, but I, it has such a benefit to surfers of all levels. And I, and I've, I've, I truly believe that. And just to let everyone know, Jay doesn't pay me to say this. Like I, (laughs) um, but I've seen, you know, raw beginners to, to people competing on the, the QS and on the big way world tour that I've put them on this and it's, um, it's benefited their paddling technique. Um, and then the next stage would be fitness after that. So yeah. I hope no, that someone you. grabs onto that and runs. Well, thank it. you. I, I, I probably told you this before, but where, where we're studying it sincerely is, uh, and this is, this never would have dreamed this, but it's, is right now, uh, for other sports and specifically for baseball players. Um, and, um, uh, one of my daughters broke her back several years ago. She had bilateral pars defects. Um, and when she was cleared to begin training again, um, it was her strength and conditioning coach who was at the college level who somehow heard about surf and shape and was like, I need to talk to your dad. And, uh, this was several years ago before we had the model W and he's like, I, I have been to multiple strength and conditioning, continuing ed classes kind of around the country, specific to baseball, where there's some people that think paddling on a surfboard is the single greatest exercise and I say this on the hills of Max Scherzer signing a $145 million, million three-year contract. Mm-hmm. Garrett Cole signing a $330 million contract. Um, baseball owners spent $1.6 billion on baseball pitchers. And uh, when you think about the throwing motion, it's not throwing way up here. It's here. Mm-hmm. And it lines right up with that 8 to 12 inches in front of your face. And it strengthens all the deceleration muscles. Yeah. And so some of the results that we're seeing from this early on are, are, are pretty spectacular. Um, but my passion is, uh, is certainly on the surfing side, but as a kid who grew up playing some baseball, um, and, and in a sport where they measure everything, you know, if it can increase performance, reduce injury, improve recovery time. Um, and really, you know, if you're a baseball owner, 
you know, those are all investments. Um, it's a whole nother level. And I don't mean to go off the deep end for that, but for anyone watching with a kid who maybe may not be in the surfing, but it's playing baseball. And I'm not talking about just playing recreational baseball. If you're playing kind of the serious ball, I mean, it's the difference between D3, D2, D1, or maybe even being drafted. And, uh, the early results on that are promising, but even that process back to developing it with prototypes, it's a slow methodical research test kind of verify, but so far, you know, everything's indicating that um, it could be, it could be pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable. Honestly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So what would you say in, in this whole journey of yours, what's been the coolest thing that has come out of you starting surf and shape? Uh, the, the coolest thing to bring it back home has been just a lifelong of incredible memories as a family, um, taking, taking trips together, you know, I mean that, I'll, you know, full disclosure, uh, my oldest, you know, her senior year in high school was like, okay, can we do something different for my spring break? Um, <laughs> rather than going on a surf trip. Um, but that's probably been, that's probably been the best. And then honestly, uh, Rob, the, the the relationships that have been developed um, with with people who bought a board who stayed in touch has been super cool and then and then it's been kind of fun along the way you know to have people within the industry reach out and like am I being punked right now I mean the surf industry the surf community is really strange and that there's a small fringe that kind of speaks the loudest that hates everything and doesn't want the sport to grow at all. Um, and again, I don't mean to sound like I'm name dropping, but when I got a note from Ruka's founder, PM Tenor, you know, saying, Hey, um, he asked me to reach out to you. And I'm like, are you guys in Costa Mesa? Yeah. I'm going to be in Irvine in the next couple of days. This was going back and meet with Marco and then connecting with him. Um, so meeting some people like that, you know, and to have him say, look, I served five times last year. Um, Kelly's wave pool rifles cloud break a couple of places in hawaii and the waves were big enough that you know you can be in great fighting shape and it's not the same as being in surfing shape right um and so i i saw this and thought man this looks this looks really interesting so just just the people along the way and then honestly it's been a um it's been super fun to be reconnected with something in my childhood that um you know i guess for a lot of surfers you know who have continued their lives, their careers, and growing their families in and around the sport that they fell in love with at an early age to rediscover and for it to be just, you know, even being as far as we are from the ocean, you know, to um, for it to be a part of our lives today has been, been really special. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was just talking to my son about how I'm still not grown up, you know, and, and that's a beautiful <laughs> thing and that, that I owe all to, to surfing in essence. So um, keep up the youthful spirit and the determination. And, um, yeah, I want to hear more as the years progress, Jay. Uh, thank you for coming on the show and sharing your story. Well, I, I, I'm honored. And I go back to how I kind of started with us grateful for what you've done. Um, and, and in fact, the video that you've done, um, just with proper paddling technique, which is, you know, um, really probably just an entree into what you do level wise. I know our clients 
folks on the bot boards have greatly benefited from. I have as well. And so look forward to staying in touch. Blessings to you and your family. And um, look forward to, to seeing you soon. Cool, buddy. Yeah. Next time you're out here, we're going to make it happen. Yeah. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Thanks, Rob.